Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Vinoy, here as always with my co-host, Todd Atkins. <laughs> and today we are joined by Jason Thacker, uh, who serves as director of the Research Institute and chair of research in technology at the ERLC. He's also an author of a few books, including his latest, Following Jesus in a Digital Age. Jason, how are you doing today? Doing good. It's good to be with you guys. Yeah. Well, hey, I know the other book I know that you've written, I, I didn't mention there, was one on AI. So I just want to ask, like, seems like you, you've delved a lot into this topic of kind of the digital world. How, mm-hmm. how did you come to really just be interested in this and then turn into to kind of researching it and writing about it? Yeah, a lot of it just comes down to my story. So I grew up surrounded by technology. I'm a little old to say that, uh, but my dad worked for a Fortune 500 tech company. So like we knew technology, I was kind of surrounded and inundated by it. And then it wasn't until like seminary and later on even coming to the ERLC that I started to say as a Christian, how do I think about these things? So often we think of something like technology is really disconnected from our faith. But as I was reading books and talking to leaders and kind of navigating some of these big questions, a lot of them came down to the role of technology in the life of the church and especially in the, the in discipleship. And so that's one of the reasons I wanted to write these kind of books is to say, let's how do we think Christianly and think biblically about a lot of the rise of digital technologies and culture and how do we navigate these in light of the biblical ethic? That's really interesting. I mean, when you think about where we are, especially with AI or blockchain, um, it's so I was a philosophy uh, undergrad and for me a Western philosophy is just breaking down an argument it's not really about finding truth it's about figuring out where your opponent is wrong and throwing them a zinger and you know our society has moved from uh, absolute truth definitely to a, to a position of personal truth and that was something that the boomers at one time could throw shade on millennials on was to say, oh, you know, personal truth. Well, now they've come up with a personal gospel that's often political. Not to like put everybody in a box. Um, I'm Gen X, so I'm really cynical, as you can tell, uh, to put myself in a box. But with all that, I mean, let's talk. Why is this topic important to the church? Why is technology so important to the church? And why are we at like kind of a crossroads at this point in time? Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to kind of the ubiquity of technology. We're surrounded by technology. Whether you're listening to this on a smartphone or on the computer, I almost can guarantee you that your phone is within about a foot of you all day, every day, even when you sleep. It's the first thing we often look at when we get up. It's the last thing we look at before we go to bed. And for at least for those of us who have screen time apps set up on our iPhones, I get that dreaded notification on Sunday morning at like 9 a.m. right as I'm going into church. It says, your screen time was up this this much percentage. You spent this many hours. The average American right now is spending about two and a half hours a day on social media in particular, and upwards of seven and eight hours a day connected to a digital device of some sort, often a computer and smartphone. 
smartphone. The reality is, is we are surrounded by technology. And one of the things I think we fail to see as Christians specifically is that these tools are not neutral. They're not just a tool that we use for good things and bad things. And we can use them for good and bad things, but it's actually something a lot deeper and uh, more robust than that. It's actually something that's shaping and forming us. And so one of the things I specifically, when I speak to church leaders, I'm saying one of the primary disciplers of your people is actually their smartphone, is social media, is the technology itself. Um, and so one of the things that we need to do as leaders as we navigate a lot of these challenges to think deeply and biblically about the nature of technology, what is technology, how is it forming and shaping us, and then what particular temptations or vices that we have when we use these tools. Because as you mentioned, Todd, uh, we kind of live in an age of post-truth where truth is kind of an individualistic experience. It's my truth, my reality. Well, technology is part of that culture. Sure. It's, it, it's pushing that kind of worldview on us in some sense. And so we need to be a wise and aware uh, to navigate, to be able to navigate these things with wisdom and discernment, which is really the thrust of the entire book is how do we cultivate wisdom in the midst of a digital age as we seek to follow Jesus? You know, as you're saying, there's a lot of good and bad, probably more bad than good that comes along with it. It just seems that it's all bad. <laughs> so, I mean, how do you even disciple your church in that to say, here's the right way to think about technology to enter? And I think even in this, I mean, we're talking about technology, but also the discussions that happen yeah. on social media. If it, is, it, is it just so bad that we should totally take a step back and just hey, get it off it, completely delete it. Your screen time should be zero. I mean, it doesn't seem like that's the answer. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, how should the church be stepping into social media, all of technology? How, how can it actually be good when it just seems it's all so bad? Yeah, I think that's a kind of a common refrain is that we either want to see technology as a tool, that it's it's a bad tool, it's an abusive tool, it's something that we shouldn't pursue, um, and that we should try to isolate and kind of cut ourselves off from it completely. And for some people, that may be the answer, um, but not for all people. And reality is you can't actually disconnect in some sense. Now, I'm not talking about just putting down your phone, but you live within a larger culture of technology. We're surrounded by it. It hit home with me. We had a new car and we had satellite radio in it. And one of the radio stations was TikTok radio. I've never used wow. TikTok in my entire life. I don't use this technology. I don't enjoy it. My wife does it occasionally, but there was a TikTok radio station uh, just playing the top hits on what was circulating on the app, and now it's on the radio station. So I say that as a really trite and simple example to say we're surrounded by technology. So while we think we can disconnect, we really can't in some sense. And so a lot of it doesn't come down to is it just bad or good. I think both of those kind of fail to describe what technology really is. It is a good gift from God. We can use it in good and bad ways, but it actually is something that's shaping and forming us. It's not very neutral. We often think of it as, oh, it's just my phone. It's just the way I choose to use it. That's part partially true. It's actually something that's forming and shaping you and changing your habits and things like that. So while we often, I think, want a quick fix, we want a checklist of here are five things that we can do to kind of write our relationship with technology. I think when we start to think from a biblical and ethical perspective, we realize these bad habits weren't formed overnight. And the good habits aren't going to be formed overnight either. It's going to take time. It's going to take wisdom and discernment and intentionality. And that's one of the things is we're talking about leaders and how to equip people is to often just seek to slow down. I think that's one of the examples I use throughout the book that seems trite to people. They're like, that's so simple. That doesn't even make sense. And I'm saying slow down because technology is causing us to go faster, faster, faster. Everything has to be more efficient, more convenient, more, more, more. 
And reality is, is sometimes stepping back and slowing down, building better habits and patterns in our life um, can help us to see not only see wisely and uh, discerningly about what technology is, but how it's forming and shaping us and particularly how it's forming and shaping our people. Because I get I get uh, church leaders and pastors all day, every day messaging me, calling me, talking to me, saying, look, what do I do about conspiracy theories and fake news? Or what do I do with the role of social media and how it's shaping my people? And this feeling of feeling like I have to be constantly connected and online and speaking to all these various issues that can be quite overwhelming for pastors and ministry leaders. And I think that's where you start to take a more biblical ethical approach is technology is not merely a tool. It's actually something much larger than that, that's shaping and forming us as people. And there are particular ways it's doing that. And that's what I try to explore in the book. Yeah. So, I mean, you kind of hit on this a little bit. You, you kind of shared some a best practice. Hey, we need to slow down. I mean, I've I, even as you're saying, I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I've really noticed that, but it is speed up. You just want to take all, I want to know all the information. It's like you don't exactly. need to know everything about everything. Um, it's OK not to. But w- whether it's even just for anybody listening personally, but also for how they are leading, what are some best practices when it comes to navigating the digital age, and maybe what are even some opposing views that you've seen as you've been researching this about what that looks like? Yeah, I think I'll start with the latter part of that question is opposing views is often, especially in the church, we just see technology as a tool. It's kind of a neutral tool. We use it for good and bad, and that's really all it is. And I think there's some there's some truth to that. The other side of the spectrum, especially from what, kind of the wider academy and things, we'll start to see tool. It's very deterministic or it's very kind of locked in. There's not a lot of hope. There's not a lot of hope for change. And I think both of those views are that I talk about, especially in the first chapter of the book, I think kind of hit on certain truths, but kind of miss the point is that technology is a tool, but it is shaping and forming us in particular ways. And so as we start to navigate and think through this, I'll just use a personal example. This is a good real life example for you. I remember I was doing dishes one night. My wife and my kids were sitting at the table. I was supposed to be doing dishes. And for listeners sake, I put quotes around that because I was on my phone a little bit. Um, But I remember coming across this story on Twitter and going, oh my goodness, I cannot believe this. These people were duped by like this fake news and there's this big conspiracy theory. And I was shocked that this happened. So I immediately, without even reading the article, immediately, instead of retweeting it, I knew better than that, uh, because you should just, you know, PSA, read the things before you share them online. (laughs) But I shared it with my wife, who was on the phone with her mom and dad. And the next thing you know, I I know about two or three minutes later, I had read the story and kind of seen some of the commentary around it was like, I'm the one that was duped by fake news. I was the one who gave into a conspiracy theory of confirmation bias. And so I had to uh, kind of unwittingly had become a conspiracy theorist. I had become a propagator of fake news. Um, and so I had to not only apologize to my wife, but also my, my wife's parents. And that was kind of the culture in which we inhabit in some sense. And this happens in the church. This happens in our families, in our communities, in our schools, is that we, send, we tend to just believe the things we read online, especially for us that grew up in kind of the internet age. Uh, we were always told by teachers, just because it's on the internet, it's not true. And don't cite Wikipedia. But I think especially with social media, we just kind of assume maybe the things that we see are true or could be true. And that's where you get into kind of this skepticism and kind of this conspiratorial attitude is that what technology is doing. Well, a lot of times the things we say online are being shaped and formed and curated just for us. They're personalized just for us. And I think we need to recognize that is that the things we see online either may they may not even be true, but they're often 
fed to us or shown to us for a particular purpose and a particular reason. And so I think that's where we need to cultivate a set of a kind of wisdom and discernment as we seek to follow Jesus in the digital age, recognizing what technology is, how it's forming and shaping us and how it's altering our view of God, how it's altering our view of ourselves as well as the world around us. I'm not saying that algorithms have reached the point where they're better than you know, screw tape. But, you know, I can remember reading screw tape letters for a lot of our listeners who are pastors. They've read screw tape letters at one time or another. And just the understanding that almost everything you see is being curated for your emotional response because yeah. we're emotional beings and it's being used against us to take us down a particular path. And um, I can't remember where I, I, I saw this. So forgive me. I don't have the professor. I can't. It was, Wik it was Wikipedia. <laughs> Probably Wikipedia. Wikipedia yeah. Um, but you know, uh, the well curve and bell curve. So we used to have a bell curve where you had um, the, you know, the, the kind of middle majority where you could have some discourse and there was a, a variance of opinion within a wider middle margin. Now that has become a well curve and you pretty much, if you're just slightly left of center, you get shoved all the way to the left. If you're just slightly, you know, right, you get shoved all the way to the right. And it doesn't even matter. Reality doesn't matter is that perception part of it is part of it is true uh, part of it is us being fed and pulled down that particular funnel um, into that point of view uh, for whatever reason the other piece that i think people you know need need to understand again is the emotional piece of or the psychological piece of all of this to say hey if you're aware of it then at least you can put up boundaries or you can allow yourself mm -hmm. not to be pulled in that direction and if you're aware of it just because your friend liked this post or did x y or z they have not suddenly become the devil and are now the opposite complete opposite of you um because again that's that's kind of how it's set up it's we're, we're being shoved in different directions not brought together for discourse yeah i think that's exactly right and that's one of the chapters that i write about in the book is on polarization and kind of tribalization and what's led to this um, it isn't just a single factor there's a host of factors that have kind of all come together to lead us to this moment but one of the things that we can realize and one of the i have a specifically in the book i have an appendix for church leaders um, because i know this is a very unique and sometimes very isolating and lonely situation about how do you navigate this whether you're in a big church or even a small church is that it can be very very isolating as leaders and one of the things, there was a story that came out back in the fall of 21 from MIT Technology Review, and they were talking about, based on some research um, from Facebook, they had specifically found about how these troll farms had curated the top, it was like top 10 out of the top oh, yeah. 15 Christian pages on Facebook were actually run by Eastern European troll farms, meaning that not only is the information sometimes we're seeing, is it jaded and particularly curated and crafted for us, but often there's... Uh, specific intentions, meaning that these platforms are reaching about 75 million users and 95% of those users of that 75 million weren't following these Christian pages, but were being exposed to the content from them. And I put Christian in quotes because reality is, is these were being run in, as a manipulative kind of bot farms. They were intentionally trying to, whether it was to sow discord or shape kind of public perception. And so one of the things that we see, just because we see it online, 
there's a person often, or in this case, some bots behind it, but there was an intention and a design behind it. And that's one of the things about technology is it's not, again, it's not a neutral tool. It's designed for a particular purpose and a particular reason, which is often to get you to do something, to feel something, or to believe something. And that, it always takes me back to Romans 12 too, uh, where Paul is talking and he says, do not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. He's assuming you are being conformed to this world. And one of the ways we are conformed to this world today in our digital age is through the use of technology. But what we need to do as Christians is to be seek to be transformed by the renewal of our mind, by the renewal of the Holy Spirit, as we seek to walk with wisdom and discernment in our digital age. You know, as you were saying, that leads right into the next kind of real real life examples. And how do we in this? Let's go personally, but then also how do you equip others to do this? As we were talking about, it's it's starts with awareness. Like if we don't know this is happening, we can just so easily be conformed. And that, yeah. that goes for so many different ways, not just technology, social media, but just in general with sin. Um, we, we don't even realize it. We look up and we're like, wow, like these things have infiltrated my life. I'm no longer seeking holiness. But with technology, it's it's so much easier than we probably even realize. So real life example, somebody listening what are, what are some ways to set up safeguards and how you interact with the digital world, social media platforms, whatever it may be? And also, how do you equip others to do that as well? Yeah, I think I'll, I'll kind of uh, plus one what Todd said earlier is that um, knowledge is half the battle here. And it sounds trite to say that, but in some sense, it's very helpful because you just have to know what's actually going on. Part of that is what we said earlier of slowing down. That gives us the space, especially mental space, to think and to process these things. But reading books like this, I'm not just saying this is the only book. There are a host of other resources out there that listeners can grab. Um, but what I try to do in a very short, compact thing, because there are long books, this is supposed to be a short book that's accessible for all is to kind of peel back the layers a little bit on what's going on in our digital culture and how we can think about it. But some practical kind of real life stuff, man, I'll say this is not easy for me. A lot often people think, oh, you wrote this book, so you must have like a great relationship. And you are under 30 technology. minutes of screen time every single week. And right? I'm like, oh man, no, it's, it's sometimes I'm like, get behind me, Satan, on Sunday morning with that screen time notification yeah. because it's, it's, not help, it's not good. I recognize some bad patterns in my own life, and so I tried to start implementing some changes and tools, but I couldn't do it alone. I think that's one of the key aspects that we have to remember is that not only is our culture very individualistic, but even our tools and our technology cause us to focus inward. It's about me, my truth, my reality, my world, my, my feed, my post, my everything. It's about me, 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 me. The gospel and the Christian worldview reorients us to what? Matthew 22, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love others as ourselves. It's pointing us outward, not inward, as culture and technology often does. But for me, a lot of the habits came down to limiting my screen time. That sounds super simple, but I have a I have the parental controls turned on my phone as a 35-year-old man. My wife has the password, so you know I don't want to have to ask her to override them. But it limits how many hours I can spend a day on social media. I have downtime, meaning from um, 7 a.m. in the morning until, uh, excuse me, I take that back, from 8 30 at night till 7 a.m. in the morning, I can't access the majority of things on my phone. The basics, I can email, things like that. 
social media and the internet, it goes dark. I can't use it after 8.30. I can't use it until 7 a.m. What does that do? It's, it sounds like this kind of artificial limit, but what it does is it forces me, one, to focus on the things that are important, my family, my wife, my kids, also my studies. I do a lot of writing and reading, especially at night and early in the morning. And it helps me to feel not constantly drawn to my device because I can almost guarantee you, and I, I feel bad if I'm calling you out right now listening to the podcast, but you probably are doing something else. You're not just listening to a podcast. Um, often we're kind of tempted to go, oh, I got to go check the score of the game. I got to go check this. I got to go look at this. I got to go check that email. Did some, somebody send me that message? And one of the things that we do is we live a very sporadic life. So little things like building better habits to have more focused time on the things that are important to limit our time and accessibility to certain apps and times and things like that can do wonders for your relationship, not only with technology, but most importantly with the Lord and with other people. Um, because it kind of changes our mindset instead of making it all about me, me, me. It actually focuses us outside of ourselves. And it reminds me of John 3.30 where it says uh, where he must increase, meaning Jesus. Jesus must increase. That means I must decrease. And so kind of that having that revolutionary mindset that it's not about me, it's actually about God. Kind of reorients and reshapes us and helps to transform our mind so it would become more like Christ. Okay, so, you know, you mentioned um, big churches and, you know, smaller churches earlier. How, how is this book geared to meet the needs of a pastor in a big church or a small church? And, and, and I guess yeah. the question I'm asking is, I know there's a leadership appendix in the back. The cover is really nice, by the way. I'm a book cover snob, so you have a nice cover. But that's a, how is this going to help a big church and how is this going to help a small church leader? Yeah, this book is designed for you to be able to hand to someone. Uh, this isn't a, a book just for leaders. This isn't supposed to be a long kind of in-depth look at a lot of these things. I reference a whole bunch of books that there's some other books that are really helpful. This book is designed now. I have that note for leaders specifically for leaders, but the book is really designed for the everyday believer. And so it doesn't matter if you're in a big church, a small church. This can be a resource, a discipleship guide, a small group guide, um, or just to say, hey, we're going to be thinking about this. Let's go through this. As a church staff and it's not supposed to be a very long book it's about 150 pages but it's a really small trim size so you can get through it pretty quick it's designed to be a pretty easy read uh, for the everyday believer and but then the other part of it too and one of the things that i love about partnering with lifeway is that we're also working with lifeway adults on a bible study version that comes out in december um, and it's a six session video um, program and study guide to walk through a lot of the concepts in this book at an even more kind of baseline level. So small groups, Sunday school classes um, can start to walk through these things together with some teaching and some interviews as well as some of the, the book itself. But this book is written just so you can hand to people. Um, that's one of the things that we designed it to make it lower cost, uh, making it smaller so that churches even could buy them in bulk to hand out to people and then walk through some of these concepts. Because one of the things that I think leaders are often tempted to do is oh, I guess I have to have a sermon series about this. And I think there there is a place in time maybe for that. But I think the majority of time is just working these type of examples into your regular sermons as you're preaching text, you know, text by text, verse by verse, walking through these things is using some of these examples about the lives and the things that your people are ch being challenged by or faced with each and every day, and which includes technology. They have these questions. And so making these type of your examples throughout the time. And that's some of the things I hope with the book is either 
either can generate some ideas about how to use this in your church, large or small, but also as a way as a discipleship tool and a guide that you can hand people and walk through these things in a small group or in accountability groups or even just as individuals. Uh, but it's meant to be accessible for all people. You know, you mentioned there's other books out there that you reference in the book and of course your book, but are there any other resources that you'd recommend or just final thoughts on this topic that you'd offer? Yeah, there are a host of books, and I'll fail to mention all of them. Uh, one of the things that I do on my website and my podcast and the uh, newsletter that we have is do a lot of recommended resources as well, so you can follow those at jasonthacker.com. Um, but one of the things, you can go find the footnotes. There's a lot of helpful things depending on the topics, but some of the bigger ideas. Uh, so you have Andy Crouch, who's been writing a lot in this world uh, for a few years. He has a number of books, especially in his most popular, uh, which is an older book at this point, called TechWise Family. That's a helpful little book. He has a newer volume um, talking about the nature of relationships in the digital age, which I think, think is really helpful as well. Tony Ranke has written a number of books on this front as well. His latest, God, Technology, and the Christian Life, is kind of like a biblical theology of technology. So especially for church leaders, I think that can be helpful because it's setting, it's kind of giving you a biblical framework and paradigm for the role of technology in the Christian life. Because one of the things, and I try to do this in my book as well, is technology isn't just your smartphone and your computers. It's actually something that we've always had. We've always lived in a technological age in that sense. We just have digital technologies today. We have newer technologies. But the printing press was actually one of the most revolutionary pieces of technology and changed everything about the world. You see that even with the shovel and the hoe in terms of agricultural tools. Technology is not just your smartphone. It's actually much broader than that. And that means that, that we can look to the Christian tradition, look to these older things to say, how do we navigate these tools and challenges? Because technology often causes us to think that we have these new questions that are novel, but in reality, they're often these age-old questions being asked in light of new opportunities, which means the Bible is actually one of the best tools we have for navigating the digital age because it's full of principles and ethical guidelines and calling us on how we are to live in light of this gospel transformation that we've encountered. How do we live in light of changing times and chaos and uh, big questions kind of looming over us. And that's one of the things that I do and not to be trite or silly about this, but you know, a good resource is to go back and read the book of Proverbs, to read the book of Psalms, uh, to go read the book of James, which seems like he might actually be talking about Twitter at times. Cause like James one nineteen, <laughs> be slow to speak, slow to anger and quick to listen. That's literally the opposite of what we do on social media. Mm. And so it's almost as if the Bible, while not having direct references to social media and technology, is actually speaking right now. The Holy Spirit is using that to shape and form us to be more like Christ amidst the digital age, to be slow to speak, to be slow to anger, and to be quick to listen. That's actually things that we can employ in the midst of social media in our digital age. And so going back to the wisdom literature, which is really the focus of the whole book, uh, going back to these things can help shape and form us in ways uh, to kind of be not again not conform to the world but to be transformed by the renewal of our mind well jason thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and for speaking into such a relevant topic uh, that everyone is dealing with today and we want to thank you for listening we hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership if it has please head on over to wherever you listen to the podcast and leave us a rating and review to help other leaders like yourself find the podcast and we'll see you next time Oh, 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 oh,